Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right, I'm really excited to have our very, very special guest. Uh, we've been trying to make this happen for, for a long time, but I finally got him. Uh, please welcome Narav Sheth to Cloud and Clear. Thank you, Tony. So excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity and, you know, huge shout out to all the listeners. <laughs> no, awesome. They, they all love learning from uh, people like you who are, uh, who've made the choice to join Google Cloud and are here with us today, working, working every day with the, you know, with the field, with customers. Um, but what's, what's great about this is that it, it's, it's a great sort of continuation of what started, you know, kind of like, right into it when you joined Google Cloud. I think you were a couple of weeks in into the into the role and we were making a visit up to the Bay Area. We had a few few meetings scheduled and you heard that we were in town and you know Ahmed who's our PDM who's our awesome PDM made the connection and then you know we all decided to 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 like have dinner together two weeks into the job and we got an audience together right away. Yeah, honestly, it was serendipitous. So first and foremost, what I'd say when I started, you know, following Google Cloud after I got the job or accepted the offer, you know, SADA was everywhere on my LinkedIn feed. So anyways, <laughs> I was excited to kind of connect with you and meet with you. But I think the fact that I literally gave you a couple hours of heads up to say, hey, let's get together for dinner uh, since you're in town. What I thought was a great testament to your commitment was you basically orchestrated uh, you know, your entire travel plan, change it up for not just yourself, but for your team so that we can hang out. And I thought for me personally, that was incredibly rewarding um, because given the time that you spent in the ecosystem, it was a fabulous learning opportunity for me to understand both what was going well and where we could accelerate together, as well as what are some of the opportunities that I needed to think about coming into the business. Now, what was, what was really eye-opening and surprising to me, because I hadn't really fully digested your background and where you came from, but the nature of the conversation was, I'm sure there was like some things about Google Cloud that I was telling you that, you know, was, was a little new or whatever, but like anything I was bringing up and talking about or philosophizing around um, like channel strategy and go to market and co-selling and sourcing, it was, it was so much of like, head nodding and agreement and alignment that I was like, Oh my God, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to explaining and justifying and validating and confirming like the channel strategy actually. And I took me a few days to realize after I'm like, this is someone who wrote the book <laughs> that I'm sitting with. I'm trying to tell, tell, explain my world. Like the Rob like has written the book at Cisco. Well, I think, um, you know, you're being a little bit too kind. You know, Cisco has uh, been committed to the channel for many years and many years prior to kind of my entry into the channel organization at Cisco. But I would say a couple of things. I think, number one, you know, one of the reasons I really have always historically respected the channel and our partners such as yourself is I've spent more of my career in customer delivery roles than I have in the channel Right. Because, you know, when you're in that customer delivery role, you have to make all the commitments that have been made to customers come to life. And you've got to be able to retain that customer through the duration of that journey. And that's what partners do. Right. And so, so first and foremost, I've always historically had a tremendous respect for our partners, especially after I spent all that time in delivery. And I think number two, the time that I kind of inserted into the Cisco channel 
that's when Cisco was going through a pretty rapid transformation towards as a service and you know software subscription kind of models. And so to that end, yes, you know I've had you know the uh, the luxury and the privilege to work with some great teams as we kind of pioneered new things. And that was part of what really excited me, you know, to come over to Google because I felt like the commitment that Google had to the channel ecosystem and partners as a whole, all kinds of partners, was second to none. So can you tell us a little more about like your story and, and just go back further than Cisco. I really want the audience always to really know, know the guests, um, know their personal story a little bit and how they got into the space. And then we'll talk about the 20 years at Cisco, which I, th I think is just an amazing run and set you up, I think, perfectly for this next chapter. Uh, we're, we're immediately seeing the benefits of your thought leadership and your 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 activity level and your alignment with with Oliver in the West and everything we're doing, but which by the way is, is not only setting standards for the West, but it's having a global impact around uh, how we engage. But let's 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 rewind a little bit. Let's uh, do a little uh, trip down memory lane about um, just what's your story. So my story, you know, I have. Uh spent time in a lot of different states, the kind of work that my dad did, you know, he, you know, would uh, have a role for a few years and then that project would end and we'd move again. Right. So I've, you know, kind of quote unquote lived in Texas and Michigan and Illinois and Maryland and North Carolina and two different stints in Georgia. But I kind of like to say that I grew up uh, in Alabama. I was in Alabama from about fifth grade all the way through undergrad. Uh, and then as I wrapped up undergrad, my family went into business. And so I kind of, you know, uh, was assisting and supporting uh, in the small businesses that they went into. Uh, but right around that same time, my kind of first real job uh, was to be a field engineer and a field rep and a small partner uh, that was there in North Alabama. We were positioning desktop computers and laptops and, you know, the basics of networking at that time. And so I would say my first job, my first real job, uh, was actually, you know, with the channel partner, right? And, you, you know, right around that time, I started my MBA. And when I started my MBA, I ended up meeting somebody that was an executive at Cisco. And this was in the, hey, you know, kind of go-go days of Cisco. Back in the year 2000, Cisco had just achieved, you know, the number one market capitalization in the world. And they were hiring like gangbusters. And I was very fortunate as I was kind of going through my MBA program as an executive MBA program you know, that that executive from Cisco reached out and said, hey, do you want to consider an internship? And, um, you know, when you're growing up in the South and you're kind of a geek, you know, and kind of into technology, it's a dream to come out to Silicon Valley. And I remember sure. when I came out for my first interview and, you know, driving down 101 on Highway 101 in Silicon Valley <laughs> and seeing all these companies that I was only reading about in magazines was like, Oh my gosh, I, like, I'm in my like, geek Disneyland, right? Right, right? And so it was a no-brainer when I got the offer after the interviews. I started as an MBA intern at Cisco in the product organization, uh, and then I ended up going full-time about three or four months after. And so since then, my story, you know, before I joined Google, was uh, basically different roles at Cisco. Yeah, and, and you know, I only assumed that, you know, uh, you've been doing channel for a very, very long time just because of the way you, you sort of articulate the, 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 the vision and the mission and, and the value proposition of that alignment of how, how powerful it is in go to market, but how impactful it is on customers. But yeah, you reminded me that in fact, you started with a lot on the delivery side. So starting at a, essentially a, a, a VAR or an SI is, is like puts you squarely in our shoes, but then at SADA, but then going to Cisco where you're doing 
all this work around uh, customer outcomes and all the delivery that's required, whether it's pre-sales or post-sales. Tell us a little bit about that journey. And by the way, the transition from that to global channel leadership is not a direct line. So I'd like to know how that happened as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was you know a fabulous kind of ride and fabulous journey, and I was fortunate to be surrounded by great leaders that I've learned from through the course of the years. And so, you know, I started in the product organization, as I said, um, you know, kind of started as an intern for a few months, and then went full time. And really, I was responsible for program management of new product uh, introduction. And I started in our you know at Cisco the switching space on one of their top product lines. Did that for a few years, and then from there, I was fortunate enough to be tapped for a product management opportunity in Cisco's professional services group. So I went over to Cisco Professional Services after doing kind of program management and new product. I spent a few few years in product management in a couple of the PS offers, and because then at that point, since I was in the kind of quote unquote delivery or the services ecosystem, I was fortunate enough to be able to transition into uh, a delivery profile, right? And so I spent. Uh, about um, you know eight or nine years in two different delivery roles at Cisco. My first role, I was responsible for a lot of our level one support. At its peak, I actually had half of Cisco global customer support uh, within my portfolio. As a part of that, I also did an international assignment. I went off uh, and spent time in Asia uh, as we were building out you know new delivery centers, had large kind of scale delivery teams. Um, and then from there, I kind of transitioned into, you know, end-to-end ownership of our network infrastructure portfolio in terms of global support. And that, I would say, that role probably set me up, you know, to transition into the channel. And so kind of what was going on is, you know, we had kind of level one, level two, level three responsibilities end-to-end for, you know, essentially the crown jewels of Cisco, uh, you know, low-end routing and switching all the way to the high-end. Um, but because of that kind of profile and g- given all the engagement that we had, uh, with their customers, it kind of set two different things up. On one hand, you know, had a chance to work extensively with our product organization at Cisco because, you know, we were kind of the listening post, right? We were seeing a lot of things from our customers. We were seeing a lot of things from our partners. And how do we kind of relay that back to the product organizations so they can continue to evolve, adapt, and really prioritize what the market needs? But as a part of that, what we would also do um, would be work very closely with channel partners to kind of quote unquote activate them as new things were coming down the pipe, right? As a support leader, you're going to be exposed to a lot of things before it comes to market. And what we started to do was really develop a framework on how do we kind of get all those insights out to the partners uh, so that the partners are basically ready, you know, ahead of really day one. Um, and because, you know, it was the network infrastructure portfolio that was essentially half of Cisco's business at that time, um, as a result of that, you know, there was a lot of engagement with our field sales teams, right? You know, some instances were good where, hey, you know, let's lean in and let's be kind of the conduit, you know, for support to the field sales organization. In some instances, hey, customer situations were going sideways. You know, who can be kind of the face of Cisco when a customer situation went sideways? And so I spent a few more years in that role, and that really set me up for the channel. Uh, there was a channel uh CE or customer engineering or systems engineering, depending on the vernacular of the company, a leadership role available for the Americas. And because I've been working so extensively with the product organization at Cisco, I was working so extensively with the Cisco field organization, um, I, you know, was very fortunate enough to be nominated to uh, basically interview and explore that role. And, you know, I went in for what I thought was a 30-minute informational meeting with the senior vice president of America's Channels at that time, a great, great, phenomenal leader by the name of Wendy Barr. 
And about 90 minutes into a 30-minute scheduled meeting, I was like, I think I'm going to get an offer. <laughs> and so <laughs> that, um, that kind of catapulted me from support into the channel. And again, it was initially kind of an SE slash CE leadership role. Uh, and then about a year into it, I picked up uh, our go-to-market teams for the Americas channel. And so I ended up driving a lot of the sales strategy for the specialists in the Americas channel. Uh, and then another kind of 12, 18 months after that, I ended up moving uh, into the global role. So I was the global vice president for, you know, effectively the channel specialist at Cisco. Wow. What a story. I mean, that's a rare uh, path, I think, for, for a lot of uh, people and when, when they end up in senior positions at big companies, like the way that they rise to the ranks is not a, is not a super common story. It's, it's amazing. I think it's a testament to obviously how well you executed in each one of those roles, but also how you were able to take something you learned from, you know, doing one role and apply it to, to something completely different. I, I think it probably that role benefited from your maybe un, un, unorthodox past experience, right? It's probably, it, 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 it provided benefits that were not obvious at first, but it really made you probably a very unique candidate when they were considering you or someone else. Yeah, you know, again, testament to Wendy, you know, she, uh, she took a chance on me, right? You know, I think it, I was a non-traditional profile coming in, interviewing for that role. And by the way, again, I've had a number of phenomenal leaders that I had a chance to work for and work with at Cisco. And, you know, Wendy was the one that kind of gave me my first shot in the channel. Um, and I think to your point, I think that was kind of part of her evaluation. She felt like I was able to come in with a lot of product, um, you know, kind of relationships, I was able to come in with a lot of street credibility with my counterparts in the field sales teams because, you know, a lot of times there's interesting dynamics between channel and sales. And so I think the fact that I was able to walk in with a lot of delivery credibility with those uh, field sales organization and with those field sales teams. And I think probably part of her thesis was all about diversity of her leadership team, right? She had a number of leaders that had that sales background and had that channels background. And so it was an opportunity for her to kind of mix things up and bring somebody in with, you know, a slightly different background. And I think, you know, in her mindset, it might've been a little bit of go slow to go fast. Hey, there might be a little bit more upfront investment that's going to mm -hmm. be required for Nirav to get comfortable in the role and get comfortable in the channel. Uh, but, you know, on the other side of that, we're going to emerge with a really strong and, and really kind of well-rounded leadership team. Yeah, I think um, I have a good friend of mine who has sort of an engineering background, and now he's sort of a COO at a, at a wealth management firm. And similar to, to your story, it's like, how, how does that sort of, uh, you know, compute? But, it's, you know, w when you grew up working on things that were very technical, very complex, very process and systems oriented, sometimes that's precisely what sales needs. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, again, I think um, the fact that my first job was with the channel partner and the fact that I spent a lot of time in customer delivery, I think it just kind of was a really great, you know, just a personality connect with our channel partners. Right. Because I wasn't, you know, a traditional kind of seller profile. It was somebody that could help the partners kind of get much more closely integrated and connected to our product organization. And I was somebody that had kind of walked a mile in their shoes. Right. I had done professional services. I had done uh, customer delivery and. You know, and that's when the rubber meets the road, right? You've got to make sure that the customers are extracting value from the investments that they're making in you. And I think, you know, even though I didn't understand all the vernacular of the channel, you know, when I started, uh, I think there was just a general appreciation of, you know, hey, you know, he's, um, he's seen this kind of cradle to grave or kind of the entire customer life cycle. You know, Cisco is known again today to be a very 
channel section company with a sophisticated program and, and, and sort of a framework around what it expects uh, its best partners to be like, how they should behave, how they should perform, and what's the expected sort of value that Cisco had from uh, the channel community and channel as a construct. I would say, you know, Cisco started its channel journey probably 30 years ago, right? I think right. there was a recognition to for Cisco to kind of scale and really meet its growth objectives and truly to kind of achieve number one, number two status uh, in the markets that it plays in. You know, they needed to be super committed and, um, you know, and super invested in the channel. And kind of over time, uh, and this is publicly available data, right? And they would typically kind of broadcast out, you know, 85%-ish. Uh, of their aggregate business globally across all segments, across all geographies, across all product lines, including services, were transacted on partner paper, right? Mm -hmm. Now, with that, you know, typically there would be segments and portions of the business that would be very channel-led and, you know, channel was leaning in, channel sourcing. And then there was portions of the business where, you know, it might have been more of a Cisco sales-led motion mm -hmm. and the channel was there to provide the managed service capability, the professional services capability, obviously, to help transact. And I think that's also the other side of the value, right? You know, when customers, especially if you think about larger accounts, you know, there's a lot of different things in their environment. You know, they're going to have, you know, Cisco. They're going to have, you know, somebody else potentially for security. They're going to have somebody else for, you know, whatever, right? And I think that was the other value that, you know, I think from a Cisco lens that they saw within the channel that, you know, the channel partners are going to be that single throat to choke for the customer, and they're going to be an aggregation point across that customer's entire distributed environment. And yeah. so a huge commitment to the channel. And I think, again, testament to Cisco, and I was kind of there for the tail end of it, but even through the, the evolution uh, of Cisco's business model to go much more kind of subscription-centric, SaaS-centric, you know, you could see the channel penetration actually stay steady and potentially even increase through the portion, of, you know, through that period of time. So what from that do you take and, and say, you know, this is really applicable to, to Google Cloud? And I'm sure, again, these sort of conversations in your cycle at Google came up and, and uh, that perspective was probably also uh, very welcome, a breath of fresh air, et cetera, et cetera. But what have you found in a, f in a few months here now that's very relevant to, to that sort of ethos, North Star approach? Yeah, so a couple of things, you know, what I would say, you know, I am super, super excited about the top-down commitment that Google Cloud has to the channel. And I think it was even very recently where Thomas Curian was interviewed by CRN, and he's been very bold that, hey, we want to drive towards 100% channel attached. Rob Enslin has a great quote that I've used. I think I used this in my January partner forum, Tony, if you remember. You know, basically, hey, partners are like family. we got to treat them like family. And so when you have that level of commitment, top down around we want to lean in with the channel that really you know sets the foundation for anything else that you want to do in the organization so for me personally and if you look at kind of where google cloud is at um you know we're evolving we're maturing we're adapting and it was an opportunity to have you know a, a little bit of you know a blank sheet of paper to really define and design uh, you know, what a channel strategy could look like. And obviously there has been fantastic leadership that's here. You know, you've got Kara Lee in place and you've got so many others that have continued to, you know, to lay that vision down and they want all of us to kind of bring it to life from a field perspective. And so I think for me, I think we have a very unique opportunity to showcase to the rest of the industry what a channel first model looks like yes. for the cloud. Because if I look at, you know, Google's competitors, right, and Amazon or Microsoft, 
you know, there's a lot of chatter, right? You know, with one, we hear that, hey, you know, they're basically opportunistic. They'll partner when they feel like they'll derive value. And in other instances, you know, they'll just take the deal direct. And, you know, for one of the other providers, one of the other competitors, you know, there's a lot of history where essentially slowly but surely death by a thousand paper cuts, they've just worked hard to essentially extract profitability out of the channel ecosystem, right? I mean, you disposed of a business that was tied to one of those uh, competitors of ours. And I, I see what Google is doing as just philosophically very different. I see us not just kind of top down leaning in, you know, Carolee, Rob, to Thomas saying, hey, we want to be channel first, right? Or sales leadership, Kirsten, Janet, and others saying, we want to be channel first. You see it come alive day in and day out in the field. Not only are we actually transacting with partners, right? I mean, obviously, no secret, SADA is one of our top MSPs across the world in terms of our ecosystem. And that really just doesn't happen with a lot of our other cloud providers. But also, as I've kind of stepped in, you know, typically the relationship our partners have with, you know, a professional services organization is sometimes antagonistic. Here, complete reverse, right? If you look at, you know, the professional services leadership team, they're saying, hey, we just want to be tip of the spear. We want to basically create the market for our partners, right? And so I am just excited to be a part of the journey and to kind of help shape and define and bring to life the vision that a Carolee or a Thomas or Rob has as it pertains to the channel. And, you know, kind of candidly, I had opportunities with some other cloud providers as well as I was kind of going through the process. Yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of going through the process and, you know, I kind of felt like, look, if I'm going to come into a channel role, uh, I'm going to go where I feel like there's true commitment to the channel, even if there is some things that have to be kind of built out and defined. Um, but that's, I think, part of the fun of the journey. Look, I've never seen the sort of uh, top-down support for channel in this very deliberate way. You know, in our 14 years working with Google, right, it's been a journey, an evolutionary journey, and a lot of uh, changes and new leadership at the helm. And no one's ever been as deliberate as uh, Thomas Curry and, and Rob Enslin. Um, and it shows up in a bunch of ways. And sometimes it's just being invited to Google sales kickoff, you know, with their own sellers. Like that is a pretty strong signal or leading, you know, uh, sessions at next and other events where channel, you know, partner and channel is like on every second or third slide, their top down leadership is talking about how important partnerships are. And I do agree that given Google's culture, Google's investment capacity, Google's ambitions around uh, making Google synonymous with cloud, which actually we're pretty far along in that journey, there's no confusion there that Google's in the cloud business, but um, it's like just being synonymous with cloud is, um, is, is, is a great opportunity to design the best channel programs and execution strategy on the planet with the most active, the most valuable, the most, um, um, a channel organization that provides the highest ROI to Google cloud than anywhere else to anyone else. And that's what I'm excited about. And it's good to be sometimes at the table where we have events that, you know, uh, uh, Kayla and Eric Rosencrantz ran, which you were a big part of with the Partner Advisory Council, where Google's literally sitting down with the top partners in North America and talking about strategy. We hear from Google leadership, but then we have a voice of here's the things that we, you know, we see in, in, in the field and in the market. And then you feel like there's follow through. 
You know, that level of engagement, Narav, I'm telling you, 14 years, it's never been that deep. So, you know, hey, listen, Tony, I really appreciate you saying that. And I think, um, you know, again, I think the tone that like an Eric or a Kayla set in that partner advisor council, it was more about listening than us presenting, right? And, yeah. uh, and sometimes the messaging that comes back, sometimes it's hard to hear, right? You know, my wife gives me feedback every day. But at the end, that makes me a better person. And I think it's kind of the same, right? It's great if we get some of the tough love and some of the tough messaging back from our partners because that's going to continue to help us adapt and evolve. And kind of if you think about kind of Google holistically, you talk about 14 years and you've been a part of our journey in Chrome and Maps and, you know, across our entire business. But, I, you know, I think what I would tie that back to is like organizationally, even at the corporate kind of alphabet slash Google level, you know, there's been – just a robust spirit of partnership that starts top mm -hmm. down. If you look at kind of Android or Chrome or any of our product lines, any of yeah. our functions, you know, the spirit of partnership, um, you know, resonates top down. And I think, you know, even beyond like a Thomas or a Rob, I think it's two earnings calls in a row where Sundar has referenced not just Google Cloud, but the channel partner ecosystem as a part of Google Cloud. And of course, on this last one, he referenced SADA, right, and some of the work that we're doing together. But the point being, yeah. you know, even at that level and even in that kind of forum, you know, there's that level of commitment uh, to our channel partner ecosystem specific to cloud. The other thing I would also say, you know, Google obviously is a kind of did my evaluation of coming over as a geek, right? The technology stack is like, I mean, put us in a POC with any of our competitors, we're going to win it 110% of the time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's amazing. And, you know, but what I would say is, like, if you look at the journey Google's been on, right, and I think we talked about this, Tony, you know, kind of in my closing comments in that January forum, you know, we weren't the first to market with a search capability. But we recognized what consumers wanted, and now Google is basically synonymous with search. Yep. You know, we weren't the first to market with a browser. Yeah. In fact, our competitors tried to, you know, monopolize the browser market um, by locking out, you know, alternative solutions because they had essentially a monopoly of the operating system. Yeah. And lo and behold, we recognized what the consumer wanted, what customers wanted, yeah, and we really enjoy uh, the amount of adoption that's there now in Chrome. Um, I could say that about smartphone OS, yeah. right? We weren't yeah. the first to market with the smartphone OS, um, but working hand-in-hand -hand with our partners like Samsung and others, um, we are now the most adopted mobile phone operating system in the world. And I think more yeah. importantly, you know, we've delivered – a mobile phone operating system that caters to everybody, right? We've democratized it. You don't have to be in the top 1% to enjoy an Android operating system. And as a result of that, literally hundreds of millions of people around the world have been exposed to mobile internet for the first time. You can buy a $50 Android phone or a $1,500 Android phone, and you could buy, you know, it's one for everybody, exactly. right? And it's like 75% market share globally. It's amazing. And I fundamentally believe that is the journey that we're on with the cloud. We weren't the first to market in the cloud, and that's okay. 
working hand in hand with a robust partner ecosystem and amazing partners like SADA. You know what the biggest realization that has landed at Google Cloud in the last couple of years, really since uh, TK Rob came on board and brought many, many, many others, is there is a distinct difference in uh, what wins in the consumer world and what wins in the world of enterprise software. And Google's traditional historic pedigree was, as the examples you brought up, is sort of consumer technologies. You could put maps in there. They were not first in maps. They were not first in a bunch of these things. In web email, they weren't the first, right? Um, is that if if, ultimate, if you build the best product, you will ultimately win in the world of consumer technology, right? Because of choice and, and lack of switching costs and all that stuff. But enterprise software is distinctly different in that there's many, many cases where the best technology has sometimes lost. And what is needed to win in enterprise software is much more than just the best technology, which helps a lot. It's everything surrounding that, you know, really good sales execution, ease of contracting, great support, customer success, professional services, you know, channel engagement and enablement. Like those pieces have to be there, but you don't, again, you don't have to explain that to TK and Rob where you might've had to explain it to, you know, Google enterprise or Google cloud in, in the past. Like that is obvious to them. And that is, I think, why, why also they're excited. They're like, oh, all we have to do is fix these things that are pretty well known, <laughs> right? These are known things. <laughs> we have the benefit of Google Cloud. Like, wow, the best tech, the best network, the best investment capacity, the, the best, you know, security. Like, we just have to an enterprise enable these things, which is a playbook that others have done pretty well, right? And that's where they come from, like Oracle and SAP and now Cisco and Microsoft and other places. So I think those things combined and reinvented to some extent because we can, right? Clean slate, white white, white paper. Um, we, we could not be more excited about what the future holds in combining all these things together in a very unique and googly way. Yeah, I, I can't can't say it better myself, Tony. I think if you take a look at the investments that we've made for 2020, and again, this has all been very public, right? You know, the investment thesis has been, hey, let's really build out our go-to-market muscle, right? Let's build mm -hmm. out a sales engine. Let's continue to build out and evolve our partner ecosystem. You know, let's make the investments in terms of customer experience as a holistic function, you know, to include PSO, to include support, to include CS, so mm -hmm. forth and so on. You know, let's make the investments in learning, right? The Google Cloud certification is the number one most sought after certification in the market. And so I think to your point, you know, there's that kind of real 360 focus on the business and not to discount the technology, right? And you can't run nine services at a billion monthly active users uh, unless you have the best stack. And I think to your point, the recognition was, hey, we've had the best stack. Let's layer on the additional focus and investments we want to, we need to make, you know, and let's just go off and, and serve our customers. And I think where it really shows, shows up, and we know this because we do so much in the West together where you're involved uh, in, in these deals, it really shows up in the field, like on a customer by customer basis, deal by deal basis, um, all these things we talk about in theory, 
um, or at a global level, the way you know it's resonating is when, you know, Oliver Parker and his leadership start doing a certain set of things and um, thinking about the channel, thinking about how, how partners can add value, how we construct deals together, how we serve customers together, how we win together. It's really changed a lot in the last six months. Um, and it's, it just seems like it's accelerating. So we know that it's working, which is, um, which is super sort of, uh, just amazing to see and, and, and drives a lot of optimism in, in, in our planning at SADA. And um, even though you probably say you wouldn't attribute all of that to you, but I'm telling you, you made a lot of a big difference in the West. And I think the stuff that we're doing in the West, um, Rob is doing in the East, and now Michelle's doing in the South, and Paul Kerr is doing in Canada. Like, and globally, I think it's really starting to resonate um, uh, really around, around the world, around how to sell with and deliver with a wonderful customer experience and get wins uh, with Google Cloud plus, plus the right partner. Right. Well, thank you, Tony. Thanks for saying that. And, you know, to your point, I mean, it's also fantastic when you have that kind of level of support and engagement from the sales leadership. Oliver, as you know, himself has spent some time in the channel. And I think as a result of that, the appreciation and recognition he has in terms of what the value of a robust channel ecosystem can mean for the business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is, uh, is loud and clear. And he's been super transparent about that in kind of his mission statements and everything, right? It's not just about being the best partner to our customers. It's also being the best partner to our partners. Let's shift gears a little bit because I always like to explore this part of especially people whose um, who's leadership I, I look up to and I admire. And it's really I want to talk about culture and style because in, in channel roles, as it often is the case, you're responsible for a segment or a number or a territory, wherever it is, where you have to drive a lot of outcomes in a broad organization where all those pieces that you need to come together don't report to you directly, but you're trying to wield influence here or make a case there. And you have, by the way, and you have to kind of be the glue that, you know, brings it all together. So how would you describe your style and approach around what, what makes that work for you? Yeah, so a couple of things, a great question. You know, first and foremost, you talked about kind of Googliness in terms of the culture, right, in uh, one of the earlier comments. And I think it starts with that. I think, you know, there's a shared purpose and a shared mission and shared values across really pretty much anybody that's in cloud, right? And so I think when you're kind of, you know, aligning different functions together, I think it starts with that, right? If the North Star is... Let's do what's best for the business. Let's do what's best for the customer. Let's do what's best for the partner. Um, when that's the North Star and you can start off with that kind of North Star, it makes a lot of the subsequent decision-making process a lot easier, right? And I think for all of us, everybody, this entire industry, there's a lot of things that we're learning uh, kind of for the first time together. And so making sure that people understand each other's motivations and really, again, tied back to let's do what's right for the customer uh, is super, super critical and important. Now, a couple of things on a personal note. Uh, I think it's, um, you know, it's no secret that patience is not a virtue. And so if I need to be a little uh, squeaky, uh, I'll go off and be a little bit squeaky. Um, but I think the other side of it is it's all about the people, right? I've got a world-class team that I get a chance to work with day in and day out. I've got world-class leadership. Uh, and I think it really takes a village. And so I think that kind of, 
you know, whole kind of mentality of that ecosystem of people that need to come together, right? I think if you've got that shared purpose and that shared goal, and then you've got kind of that bias for action, you know, I think that, you know, those are the types of things I think about uh, in terms of, you know, managing and navigating through situations. And then candidly, the kinds of things I think about is, you know, you know what's the kind of talent that we want to bring into the organization as well. Yeah, well, let's 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 uh, double click on the the, the patient thing because I think, I mean, I suffer from this too. But I think, generally speaking, I'm a very patient person. Generally speaking, and I know some things take a long period of time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think the same things that get me um, going and activated and and sort of uh, uh, high frequency are the same things that get to you, which is. What's best for the customer? Customer experience, execution. Like I think sometimes we get impatient when we see a clear path that for some reason is not the path that's being followed. Like we we hate to we hate to lose and we hate to deliver anything but an exceptional customer experience. So to the degree that there's things that are causing those issues, yeah, I think. In some cases, we're completely aligned that bias for action sometimes is is absolutely the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe part of that I you know tie that up to my delivery routes. You know, when um, you know I've had situations where you know customers you know jobs are on the line because they had network situations or problems, or you know we had one scenario where a large portion of a country's internet access had gone down because, you know, there was a misconfiguration and a failover, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when you think about kind of some of the customer delivery um, situations I've experienced ranging from people's jobs are on the lines to people's lives are on the lines, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just really kind of very quickly centers you to think about, you know, what's best for the customer. And let's not, um, you know, kind of have a bias for action just for the sake of having a bias for the act right. for action. But, you know, let's really go off and, you know, take the hill that we need to take because it's the right thing to do for the customer. It's the right thing to do for the team. It's the right thing to do for the partner, so forth and so on. Yeah. And I think part of that is, again, we want to show up to the customer, like, wow, they're professionals. Wow. They know what they're doing. They really want this business. They're serious. Cause you know, the competitive landscape is, you know, there's a couple other players out there that are actually very good at execution. They're moving really fast. They've, they've had, they have those muscles. Um, and I think we don't want to create sort of situation where the juxtaposition of the customer experience and how they're engaging with Google versus somebody else is drastically different. We actually want the Google path to be the one, the path of least resistance, the most impressive, the easiest, right? We want to be easy to buy from and easy to work with. Um, and also like when we think about Google's market position, um, being number three and the ambitions to grow that Google is growing faster than the other two is, you know, I don't want their, look, I know Rob and TK don't believe this, so it's good. Very good. Cause that starts from there, but we can't act like we have forever to win market share. We, we don't like, we don't have forever. <laughs> like, yeah, we, have to, we have to win now. Pretty, uh, they've been pretty explicit. Hey, you know, our goal is to be number one or number two. Um, you know, I think, you know, over the last uh, several quarters, and certainly even since the time I've been enrolled, uh, there's been some very public, significant wins, you know, whether it's Sabre or Splunk or others. And, you know, these are transformative, right? The companies are essentially 
you know, in some instances, betting their entire future with us, right? And so, you know, customers are turning to Google left, right, and center. I think they recognize, you know, all of the capabilities and technology and thought leadership that we can bring to the table, and we're going to envelope them and make sure that they're going to be successful. Um, and I think that um, the, um, the other side of it is it's kind of fun, candidly, to be number three. And it's fun because you can be the attacker. You can be the challenger. Yeah. You can be the, uh, the cloud that nobody saw coming. Now, of course, that's changed, right? After a couple of quarters of 50% plus consistent growth rate, we're not, you know, the secret cloud anymore. You know, that's good and right. that's bad, but it's still nice to be number three because every time we're winning, we're taking down somebody else. Yeah, I could not agree more. And, and you know, there's Anthos and that whole multi-cloud strategy, which I think is brilliant. Again, I think being Google and being number three gives you the latitude to do a lot of really creative and interesting things. Speaking of those big deals, I mean, we also benefit in cloud from the broader alphabet um, resources and technology and strategy. We actually had, the, you know, the head of healthcare, Google Health, write an email to a uh, healthcare CIO who's pondering buying G Suite, and he just—he does not in Google Cloud, but he's happy to write that email. So thank you, David, uh, for sending that out to a customer recently. And that that kind of collaboration also is, I think that those are things that Rob, TK, and others have started to bridge. Um, and some parts of Phil's organization, Phil Moore's organization, started to bridge with larger Alphabet, and I think that's really powerful. And you know, uh, Microsoft and Amazon don't have that. The, they don't have those assets that Google has to bring forth into a transformational conversation um, with the enterprise. Along those lines, um, I really would like to hear your perspective on you know the current crisis a little bit. I know things are sort of churning, and, and even Janet Kennedy mentioned it last week, and I and I agree. But I really appreciated day one. Uh, Google's support of not only the serve, not sell messaging, but the messaging towards partners that was like, look, we're here to support you. What do you need? Tell us about what your customers need. Um, so how do you think where we are right now and where we are right now is sort of middle of May, uh, but how do you think the next couple of quarters are going to be and how we have to do things differently maybe for this year or what is what do you think has changed maybe permanently? Yeah, so it's a great kind of thought-provoking kind of, um, you know, kind of line of thought here. So first and foremost, right, you know, I'm not going to talk about kind of business projections, right? I'll kind of just provide my own voiceover in terms of the hypotheses, right? I think, you know, very early on, um, out of the gate and testament to Kirsten and Rob and Janet and really the entire sales leadership structure, there was a recognition of customers, and even the individuals, right, you know, at those customers, yeah. there's more than 30 million people that have filed for unemployment. There are unprecedented financial and health challenges and issues that everybody is facing. So our responsibility is not to try to turn that into a sales motion, right? Our responsibility is to be there to serve them and support them as one Google. And we've done a lot of things around that, you know, whether it's, you know, the information sites around COVID, whether it's, you know, a lot of the research and data analytics that we're providing around kind of vaccine and medications, you know, whether it's really coming to market and making our, you know, our meats offer just available just so that customers and individuals can stay connected, you know, so forth and so on. So I think number one, the posture was, hey, we want to be a platform 
uh, for our customers and individuals candidly around the world mm-hmm. that they can trust and that they can rely on and not, you know, that we're going to turn around and try to basically position something to them as far as the sales go. You know, but if I look kind of forward, you know, once we got through that initial shock, I think what started to emerge is that the companies that were very agile, quote unquote, digitally, were able to kind of get back to some semblance of normal much faster than those companies that weren't, you know, and I think for us, it's a great example. We were able to basically flip the switch and, you know, we're incredibly productive with pretty much our entire workforce being remote. Um, And so I think that that I think is leading to a lot of powerful conversations, you know, with customers. And if you look at industry analyst data, whether it's Gartner or whether it's Forrester, if you look at, you know, um, the business press like Wall Street Journal, there's a lot of surveys and a lot of data points that are now emerging that based on kind of what's transpired, more and more customers are just going to continue to accelerate their cloud and as a service journey, right? Because they realize, you know, that they need to be able to focus on the imperative and objectives of their company uh, and let the experts take care of other things, right? And so I think what we're going to see over the next couple of quarters um, is, you know, just this whole emergence of customers wanting to have truly end-to-end transformative discussions and recognizing that cloud and as-a-service models are going to be at the forefront of that. And if you kind of triangulate that against kind of, you know, um, kind of traditional IT providers, you see a lot of gyration in the traditional IT stacks, right? You see a lot of pressures in terms of kind of bookings and sales and revenue and whatnot, because I think customers are just recognizing, you know, there's a new normal upon us, right? And, you know, I think if you just look, you know, look at history, when events like this have happened, you know, when I say events like this, you know, whatever kind of major life-changing event for the world, you know, the world looks different coming out on the other end of that. Right. Right. It's not as if, hey, you know, we have a vaccine and all of a sudden everything's going to be normal again. Right. I fundamentally believe, and I'm speaking personally now, right, not on behalf of the company, right, but I think this whole concept of a distributed workforce, right, I think this whole concept of, hey, you don't always have to be, you know, flying out somewhere to, uh, to have an effective or productive engagement. You know, this whole perspective of do I need to have, you know, large scale data centers that I am running uh, or am I better off to have somebody like Google basically, quote unquote, run my data center so that I can focus on the outbound of how I can transform and serve my customers. And so I think the next couple quarters, we're going to start to see, you know, customers once they kind of settle and stabilize and figure out kind of what's going on. Uh, externally, I think we're going to see a huge surge. And when I say we, I mean the collective we, right? The collective technology industry is going to see a huge surge of customers looking to understand, you know, what do I really want to look like? How do I become more digitally agile? You know, what's core to me in terms of what I need to invest in myself versus, you know, where can I just turn over to a SaaS provider, where can I turn over to a cloud provider so that they can be my, you know, transformation partner. And so I think personally, it's not a better time to be in the cloud space. Uh, And I think personally, it's not a better time to be at Google Cloud. And again, that's just my own personal narrative, right? It's not on behalf of the company. I'm not issuing any financial guidance. Um, But I can personally see 
uh, the kinds of conversations uh, emerging, uh, you know, even though we're kind of in the midst of the crisis. And obviously for any of our listeners, if you've experienced financial heartache out of this, if you've experienced personal heartache out of this, if you experience, you know, a health issue out of this, you know, I wish you the best on my sincere uh, kind of uh, thoughts and regards are with you. Um, but I think purely looking at this from a, um, you know, what does the future of business look like? I think it's going to be very different. And I think it's going to be, you know, even that much more all in on cloud and as a service models. And uh, there's also no time to be a Google Cloud partner. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you feel that way. It's, it's our responsibility, though, to earn that uh, from you day in and day out. Well, you know, uh... We'll be working on that together for, for months and years to come because we, we know that this is an infinite game and goes on forever and the rules change all the time. And it just feels great to know that we have a true true partnership uh, in the trenches that are, you know, faith and destinies aligned. Um, it's, just, it's just a really great way to, to work and to partner. Uh, I really want to thank you for everything you've done for us, you're doing with us uh, in the field, in the West and really everywhere because your impact is quite quite broad. And also, thank you very much for being an awesome guest on Cloud & Clear. Tony, hey, thank you very much for the opportunity to be uh, here. I feel very honored and privileged. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for, uh, for being a part of this conversation. And again, I wish you the best as we kind of navigate the crazy times ahead. Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.